0: Screen. our community's mythic reverence of yesteryear makes new gods out of pop culture we pay tribute to the quarter machine pray to the pixel worship the retro these gods though made mighty by our collective belief are powerless to the old deities of crossover appeal and financial stability a small cabal of us even in the face of this utter dominion dared to craft a monument and scripture to venerate our neon idols to resist the wrath of solvency and social spaces to crystallize our tenants into terrestrial displays of our extraplanar connection. The most pious of us, the Danish game church housemark can no longer suffer for the faith. From Super Stardust, to Dead Nation, to Rezogun to Nex Machina, gospel was uplifting and reminiscent. They didn't just make games that were like the ones we played in the past, but they made experiences like the ones we had in the past. This is an important distinction. Because arcade games from the past are not as good as we remember them being. Instead of reminding us of this, games like Matterfall replicate familiar functions without exposing us to the ugly truth. Bless them. Great displays of prowess and commitment to the glory of our history isn't a fast track to sustainability, though. The faith is strong and housemark. But unlike actual churches, overhead expenses are the real devil. Every arcade revival release is the last straining Sisyphusian step up a tall hill where the return on investment is the boulder crashing down to the lower world. Yet on that walk back down where it will be easy to reason themselves out of beginning this climb anew, they bolster their resolve and begin to push once more. This is what true piety looks like. Though it may be more than conviction to the doctrine of history that keeps anyone pushing against inevitability. At some point, when you open your arms, press your face against the unforgiving stone, dig your heels into the soil below, and heave with all your might. You find some sort of rebellious glee in willingly stepping into a toil and torment to which you will never know the end of. It's this proletarian masochism that makes the effort so endearing. After every trip, down following every dense thud of every failed summoning, they gnash their teeth and press again. The journey is the dirty cow's crucible that creates something wonderful out of grit. Being able to create beauty out of something so hopelessly ugly, even for a second, is worth it, if it even only slightly turns the screws of the oppressors, until the resounding crash of the boulder at the bottom of the mountain called Nex Machina, a critically acclaimed obeisance to Eugene Jarvis's Robotron 2084. On the way back down the hill, Housemark had the same procedure of self-assurance, Except this time, the idea of pushing the boulder back up the hill again was heavier than the rock itself. The most painful thing for us, the humble reveler, when the deacons and the pastors lose faith, is when you can completely understand how they got to this place. No one can blame them for not wanting to push anymore. To suffer for a God who, though not false, isn't practical. At the end of the day, the old gods still sit atop Olympus because the world is crafted in their image. Being too good for this world doesn't exclude you from the fact that ultimately, you must play by its rules, or no longer live in it.
1: Hey there! And welcome to the Rash Passions article reads for the best of list. This is gonna be the discussion for Housemark and the miss and the myth of Sisyphus. Oh man, this is a mess. Um, I am Logan Wilkinson, and with me is the author, the voice you just heard speaking to you, one Jarrett Green. Logan, are you drunk? I'm actually like not that drunk right now. Um Jarrett's probably drunker based on like him drinking things, being his Twitter brand. To be fair, I've only had iced tea mm. today. Mm. Well, it is President's Day. We're recording this on, so it should be noted. Actually, that's not even true. I've definitely had alcohol. Yeah, it is President's Day, to be fair, so we should be noted that we are in kind of celebratory spirits here. Um, spirits have been had all around. Uh, but you got to you gotta do what you got to do. I mean, it's only once a year that this happens. Stay. Uh We are here to talk about the piece Jared wrote for a little over a year ago uh that sounds right i think it was yeah it was before Extra Life 2017 i read around that um they read about housemark and kind of their pivot away from the solid games they had been known for that they kind of built their brand to something new and different specifically on november 2017 thank you uh yes and so that's what we're going we to discuss we're going to the themes and kind of the inspiration behind it, in particular, obviously the myth of Sisyphus, which is one of my personal favorite um, mythological kind of stories. Um, I would assume Jarrett has respect for it at the very least. Jarrett doesn't have favorite of very many things other than me, um, and so we'll just we'll just jump right into it, Jarrett. I don't know how you want to talk about this. Whether you want to talk about it in terms of House Mark first, or whether you want to talk about it in terms of like. Sisyphus and kind of the mythological inspirations embedded in it first uh I think well the
0: inspiration comes from clearly the actual myth of Sisyphus Mm -hmm. but it also comes from the essay from Albert Camus from 1942 um with the same title the myth of Sisyphus Mm Sisyphus which is kind of like uh the a a, philosoph- a philosophical sort of diatribe about the kind of absurdity of like man finding meaning mm-hmm. um, the idea that we kind of struggle against all mortal being for an ending that always ends the same so it's like what keeps a person going through the extent of their life knowing that they will always sort of lose the climb. The the this clearly plays directly into the actual myth of the old king, Greek king Sisyphus, mm-hmm. who was cruel as a ruler and then punished by the gods to lift or push a boulder up a hill that got heavier and heavier as it got to the top, um and eventually be too heavy and it would fall. And he'd go back to the bottom the bottom of the hill and do it all over again. He's
1: doomed to eternity, yeah, to do the same
0: thing over and over again. And Sisyphus himself becomes sort of like a heroic sort of figure, regardless of what he had done in the past, because like his sort of journey and willingness and sort of unstoppability to get the, the boulder to the top, even though he knows it's a fact now that the boulder will fall and he has to do it all over again. It's kind of like the answer to the question, why do we keep doing it?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the that philosophical essay too, um, because it's got like one of my, I have it already. It's got one of my favorite kind of lines. I think like this that is at the end of that essay, which is just quote, "the struggle itself is enough to fill a man's heart." Right, like one must imagine Sisyphus happy in quote, like just like the struggle itself, the kind of the daily overcoming this impossible odds, or at least trying to, right, even though you know that you're doomed from the start. Um, I think the reason that this kind of becomes this tragic hero is because of the fact that it is there is something almost weirdly inspirational in the fact that just, like, battling against this impossible thing that you're going to lose, right? You can't win. The boulder will fall down at the end of the day, no matter what you do, no matter how far or how hard you push it. Um, but you're going to kind of pick yourself up, yourself off, and go at it again. Um, inherently becomes it's, something tune, I think, you, yeah, right. It's
0: knowing that you can't win, mm-hmm. so you no longer. So it's no longer about winning. Yeah, you're yeah. not pushing this boulder to get it to the top yes. anymore. You have to find some other reason to do this, uh, to make it worth it. Because doing it and then wondering why and then having no answer is like the void, mm-hmm. and you kind of wanted to avoid the void, <laughs> um, or at the very least be self-aware about the void and. Every time it rolls down, he kind of finds a restated purpose in putting it back up, and it's just that simple relationship between him and moving the boulder, is like the fact that he can almost defiantly do it. Yeah, and and takes pride in knowing that the gods, some god, has watched him, watch the boulder roll down for the thousandth time, and instead of just giving up, he's going to push it up again. Yep. Yeah. Because he's not going to give the gods' satisfaction, that's kind of that in and of itself is the is the I guess the, the heroic quality, right? Yeah. And Albert Camus kind of used that relationship mm-hmm. between the gods and this punishment and Sisyphus himself as sort of the thesis for the human condition as like a yes. sort of broad formless concept. Yeah. Um, I kind of shrank that back down to a specific concept of game design.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, maybe even more specifically, designing a particular sort of game yeah, in particular a world style, that does yeah. sort of appreciate those sorts of games these days. Um, that arcade twin-stick shooter mm-hmm. is not the you know it's not the the gangbuster seller. And never really has been, or at least hasn't been in a very long time. Mm-hmm. And even though House Mark's best titles, their Super Stardust, their Rezo Guns, um, their Dead Nations are all, you know, pretty highly um, touted and very, very well regarded. Um, some of them even are, like, actually very successful. Um, it's becoming increasingly a bad idea to. Make one sort of make these. They, they go through the entire game design process just to make them right, and they. And this has kind of been the truth. Early on in their development cycle, like this is the truth. You know, when they made Reson Um so much so you can kind of see them breaking off and trying to make other games. Sense like Outland or um, Matterfall games that are like twin-stick shooter but they're also, you know, side-scrolling platformers or adventure games. Like, they've been trying to get out of this for a while. But in 2017, they basically wholeheartedly announced, like, we're done with this. We are going to make the games people buy now. Because we've been trying to do this forever, and, and even though we found it to be uh, maybe personally gratifying, it's not financially gratifying, and struggling against... The economics of making these games is no longer... it's it's making the stress it provides is not um, being made up for the pleasure we get to make them um, because we all have bills
1: basically yeah what um, what I in particular found because like as 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 a kind of a side here like this piece and out of all the top ten best ten lists like this is one of my ac- like personal favorites on the entire list like it is like I, I me and George each. Um, really, really, really love this piece that he wrote. I think there's so many layers to it, and like the thing for me too is the fact that it is House Mark having the ability, right? Like they, they are, they ultimately are not suspicious, right? Like they can walk away, they can just say, "This isn't worth it. This isn't the struggle isn't worth it, right?" Like the the struggle is kind of like is enough and can be like the meaning of it, but ultimately it's also like, well, my heart is pretty full. I'd like to kind of have maybe my wallet or just kind of sense of, like, self um, full as well, right? Because it is that thing of, like, ultimately, Sisyphus is a tragic hero, right? Because he can't... He is doomed to do this, even as he is kind of get gets his kind of fulfillment out of it and gets, kind of becomes this heroic figure and gets to act out this, like, great act of, like, defiance almost. Um, he's still doomed to this. He can't walk away. He has no choice in the matter that has been stripped away from him, right? Whereas Housemark is a studio who does have to pay bills and who does have to kind of keep the lights on and keep themselves kind of within the larger gaming kind of conversation and spotlight. And it is just them saying, we've done this for years. You've pushed that boulder up the hill for years and fought the good fight and fought it really good too." whether it be Resogun or other titles that made, I think it's fair to say fairly big to really big in Resogun's case, like critical splashes um, but maybe commercially we're less so. And it's just, we don't want to do this. We don't want to be that studio anymore in terms of just like maybe not getting the kind of commercial success we should, or we think we should get. Um, and the fact that they can then walk away from that, right? And it is them kind of, in their own way, taking kind of control of the situation, right? And taking their own kind of power into their own hands and saying, we we are being strong and we are being kind of heroic in our ways by just saying, enough, like, we are walking away, and that is kind of, I loved how it's kind of phrased in parts in the story, because I mean, like, ultimately, too, like, something that I really like about the Mark piece is the fact that, like, it is ultimately, like, a really clever, um, and I think beautifully done, like, eulogy, too, to, like, this kind of era of Mark games, this kind of, really to this era of games at large, this Twinsic era, it's almost like a larger ode and kind of farewell to that as it much it is to just like House Mark in particular, um, and like the eulogy aspects of it, I think are really, really great. Well, they're not the only people making these
0: little games yeah. just to try to keep the dream alive, right? Like, everyone is kind of stuck in this race, mm-hmm. or not everyone, but there are a lot of people stuck in this race that have to make this decision every time they make a game. Um, it was House Mark has always been one of those significant, how like I guess indie sort of studios that have been consistently deciding to do it. Um, So they and themselves had to find a reason knowing that, you know, the proverbial boulder was going to roll back down the hill. They were not going to make the gangbuster, you know, runaway hit. They were going to have to either break even or take a loss because they made this game that was cool and represented, um, you know, a time that video games kind of forgot. And up until that point, they had decided to go back down the hill and, you know, push her back up again. Um, this happens everywhere. Um, I think House marks a position to make that decision to do something else. Um, that prison was a prison of their own making. It's not like they were forced here. But this is a something that you can kind of stretch over all of game development. I think. Mm, yeah. Um, when you see lots of places pivot to whatever the next trend is especially these past you know this past five maybe even ten years we've been chasing trends especially triple a and that's been changing the entire landscape of video games forever like indie platformers like 2d revival games sort of changed the way indies are developed and how they're marketed to the point where we can't even like figure out what a good indie looks like anymore because it's every the market's so crowded um we've all been chasing MOBAs and first-person shooters and asymmetrical shooters. And now it's, you know, the, or before it was like the survival game, the hardcore survival game. And now it's the, uh, and and it's changed the way people decide to make games from like the mid tier up. And a lot of people have decided that they're no longer pushing their boulders either. Mm -hmm. Mm Um, and you know, I don't think the entire industry is worth eulogizing over no. necessarily. At least not for this reason. I mean, there's there's un- there's instability being caused by all this, and that's all. Um, that's all things that can be, I, I, I guess, further referenced and better referenced in other places. This is yeah. This was very a specific singular case. I was focusing around, mm-hmm. but it, it does reference a broader issue with the industry on purpose. Um. And it is sort of a eulogy in a way, yeah. Because I, I and I wanted it to be, because and I wanted to use like heavy sort of religious tone, yeah. I was gonna talk about that in a second as well. We as video game people, not even just fans and gamers and players, but the people who write and be and become discourse creators about video games, tend to talk about our games and talk about. um even some game creators we use, we, we deify them almost. Um, maybe we don't literally worship them, but I think conversation can be its own worship. Mm. Um, if you take the, like the American God sort of, um, Neil Gaiman sort of reading of how things become deities, it's attention and focus and belief. Um, but even then, it's like as soon as you lose attention and focus and belief, you lose your
1: your sort of deification. Um, so there's like a there's a through line there too. Yeah, I mean like that's one of the big things for me is the fact that like I don't have like I don't know how familiar you are with like Pericles like funeral oration, um, but there, which I guess even more so for the listener of this, which is is a Greek. Athenian statesman from like, the third century BC, but um, like there's a lot of that kind of funeral oratory, um, like and in particular Pericles' speech, like theme similar to that in this, where it is kind of a eulogy and done very interestingly though, um, and like kind of pre- like focusing on kind of the the past and well like the story up to that point and then kind of the moment kind of almost. A rededication of what we have to do whether in terms of Pericles, like obviously the defense of Athens and the Polynesian War, and here and kind of reckoning with whether or not it is like worth it to push that boulder up, whether or not it is like this is the thing that we should be doing, right? Like there there are two it I'm mean, kind of it's the open and close in paragraphs of this piece that I absolutely adore. Um and like in particular the first sentence of this is one of my favorite like sentences in the entire piece which is quote our community's mythic reverence of yesteryear makes new gods out of pop culture end quote and like it's such a great like opening line that i mean it just grabs you and it goes back into just kind of phrases and sentences out of either pericles funeral oration or even stuff like um kind of classic ancient kind of funeral oratory um and then, like, jettisoning down to, like, the closing paragraph, which I'm going to read way more of because it's really fucking great, is, quote, The most painful thing for us, the humble reveler, when the deacons and pastors lose the faith, is when you can completely understand how they got to this place. No one can blame them for not wanting to push anymore. To suffer for a God who, though not false, isn't practical— at the end of the day, the old gods still stood atop Olympus because the world was crafted in their image. Really good sentence. Being too good for the world doesn't exclude you from the fact that, ultimately, you must play by its rules or no longer live in it, end quote. And, like, this these are two of the biggest, In particular, that last part was, like, the biggest example, I think, of, like, kind of the religious undertones and themes, um, I think, really flourishing. Um, and, I, like, I love this piece partially because it does lean into that so much. In a manner that is, I think, skates across the fine line between being like tongue in cheek um, and almost kind of, I think, taking, taking kind of the piss out of like these kind of like the seriousness and kind of the heaviness of the religious themes, but also in, in the same manner, kind of leaning into them and kind of embracing um, what kind of lean into these kind of phrases and words and expressions. Um, can lead in terms of, like, the, I think, cadence and weight of each individual word and phrase, right? Like, there, there's a reason why, like, to jump to another, uh, like, person, like, like, Lincoln in particular, like, used religious imagery and religious phrasing um, very effectively and very powerfully in a lot of his speeches because they care. just, there is, like, almost inherent weight added to those kind of phrases and um, examples that you pull from, religious or biblical themes and it's embedded in this piece really brilliantly, I think. Um, and it goes back to that. I think Lincoln's a good example. Yes, that's exactly, um, yeah.
0: Lincoln, he himself was kind of a... He, uh, had a complicated nature. Um, yeah, him is, his relationship with spirituality and...
1: It's really fascinating. There's a lot of is, good books. Is very complicated. Yes. Um, and one that grew and evolved over time. How, how it sort of depressing
0: the end of his life is like his last 30 years. Yes. Um, I mean really his whole life he, he never had a good... Really his whole life yeah but you know he lived he was what... Uh, how, old he was, how old
1: was he? 56. He was 56,
0: he was 56 yeah. right? So 56 like, years old. Basically since he met... Uh, Mary Todd? Probably. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, even, before even before that, that, that like, yeah. The Mary Todd sort of episode... On was turned him into the sort of like Edgar Allan Poe of American presidents. Yeah. Um, but he also recognized the place of religion mm-hmm. in the culture yeah. and then using and understanding the importance of speaking to the people he governed in the way they'd understand. Yeah. Him. And with, with sort of platitudes he'd understand.
1: Especially in that era and time where, for a lot of people, the only book. They had maybe ever read or had read to them right would have been the Bible, right? This is the one thing they hear every week at least on Sunday, if not more days of the week where they they're hearing and reading excerpts from this book for the entirety of their lives multiple times, kind of thing. And so he's using themes to that to that point really well, like that they understand that they know like whereas like nowadays these these still carry weight and obviously power to them, these kind of excerpts it might be Paul of or – um, brothers keepers kind of expressions but people consume the bible and kind of consume religion differently whereas then it was like everybody had read understood what it meant when these particular phrases were used um and like what they meant in the context for them and kind of the symbolism of them and everything and so it helped kind of convey a larger point and i think it helped kind of convey a larger historical significance to the thing right and the largest um symbolism of these kind of natures he was going for. Like, even like something as simple as like the house divided line, the house divided speech is something that is rooted in the Bible, is rooted in a biblical story um, and biblical phrasing. Because they it. would all understand a biblical Exactly. Story. And that's not only all
0: understand it. It's like they related to their yes. country and, and a way more religious sort of, may more uniformly religious sort of concept than we do now, because, you know, way more people were some version of Christian. Yes, you know, (laughs) uh, in the eighteen mid eighteen hundreds, yeah, yeah, even even like even freed slaves, like even around then, they were all some sort of Baptist or yeah, some sort of Christian. So like, no matter who you were talking to, or who they looked like, they probably believed you know in the same God, the same Jesus, and more or less the same uh, story. It was a
1: way to again to, to his kind of one of his central. I think themes of presidency to unite people. Like they instantly, everybody could kind of understand this basic concept in a way. But like what I find most fascinating about Lincoln in particular is the fact, that, like God, like just re- literally read anything about Lincoln. But like in particular, like having just read, reread one of my favorite book on Lincoln, one of my favorite biographies, period, if not my favorite, um, A Lincoln by Ronald C. Wright Jr., who specializes in particular in like Lincoln's like speeches and his kind of spiritual growth and just kind of growth like more growth of the person like his understanding too the basic concept of that like everybody in the north says that god is on their side everybody in the south said god is on their side well those clearly can't be the same they, they clearly can't core, like work together so like his kind of inner debates and thoughts and writings to himself about like that and like the kind of what god's role in nature and kind of events was and kind of parsing that out and he like seeing these kind of internal thoughts as he used these themes like in particular after he kind of came back into the national scene in 1854 with kind of the Kansas Nebraska Act kind of bursting, um kind of the national debate wide open um on slavery and I'm using air quotes state rights um like Lincoln almost never would have a speech again where he wouldn't like weave some sort of biblical or religious kind of theme or story or just kind of symbolism into it um and as it grew as his own kind of questions and doubts and kind of debates internally with religion and god rose up too because like that's the thing is that like we just said that like basically everybody in the country was christian in some way and lincoln is interesting because he's somebody who ultimately probably believed in in some higher power in some thing. Um, But he also had an abundance of questions and an abundance of, I think doubt maybe conveys too much, but he certainly had questions and certainly wondered a lot and certainly was not, I think as strong as his father um, or people back home from like Kentucky, right? Like in particular, there's a great passage in the book where it talks about how, the kind of religion and spirituality that Lincoln kind of strove towards increasingly as life drove on was kind of an intellectual one, right? Like he, he rejected what he'd grown up with, which is kind of this more passionate, um, revivalist born again Christianity. He, I think his personal experiences with that in particular with his father, who he had a very fractured relationship with, um, I think turned him off of that kind of more passionate, what it can do to people, um, version of Christianity saw something more intellectual right and I think it's reflected in the the pieces that he would write to himself and also in the speeches he would give and how he would use Christianity in these kind of almost scholarly and lawyerly arguments um against first kind of the Kansas-Nebraska Act and the Pierce and Buchanan administrations and Stephen Douglas in the Lincoln-Douglas debates right like he, these are, he's engaging religion almost as like legal kind of counter argument right like drawn on like his own legal background obviously but using this kind of as a tool to further that and then when he comes into the White House you still see that kind of carried over where he's still using it especially in the first inaugural address in a very lawyerly ways in a very kind of ways kind of convey this larger argument and discussion and how that I think evolves in the multifaceted ways that he uses it I found really interesting um and this piece, uh, I think, does something very similar to, like, m- maybe most like the Gettysburg Address and how he used religion in that and how he used kind of that eulogy, which is what it arguably was. Um, it was very good.
0: Well, the eulogy was where the religious things yeah. happened. Like, if it was going to be a eulogy, then eulogy is where they usually happen. the yeah, church. exactly, right? Um, like that's I also, born from there. like you mentioned... Um, Pericles' funeral oration. Yeah, it's real good, isn't it? That wasn't a speech just about no you know, ten Athenians who no. died. It was about like kind of the death of yes Athens yep. itself. Yes, and or at least he Pericles could see the it. death yes. of every Athenian that fights in this war. Athens dies with them, mm-hmm. and I think there's definitely a parallel. Whenever a, whenever a studio closes, that's a clear death. Yes. Whenever a studio decides to leave its sort of core competency to try to do what everybody else is doing, for the simple point of trying to stay you know, in the game, I think that's another sort of death. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe a more vivid death that says more about the industry itself uh, in a cynical way than it does in the sort of business, you know, it is what it is kind of way.
1: There's a great, like, I, I think in, in that vein too, and in, in kind of this underlying theme of the speech is, I think embedded in like one of the final paragraphs and sentences in Pericles funeral Oration. Shout out to just, we're getting real deep into fucking ancient Greek uh, oration here and philosophy, but like, quote, for grief is felt not so much for the want of what we have never known, as for the loss of that to which we have long been accustomed, right? End quote. And like the the entire point of this Housmark and the myth of Sisyphus piece is the fact that like it is this we're losing this thing that we've known Housemark to have done, and Hashmark is losing the thing that they have done and known and loved, right? This thing like they dreamed that they could make this kind of huge again, that they could kind of return the industry to almost like nineteen eighties state, and it is in a similar vein to Sisyphus, like it is a losing battle from the start, right? Like they, they can't kind of turn the clock back onto what has kind of become the thing that has dominated the industry. It is them dreaming. It is them kind of wishing they could in a way maybe. Um, and they do it. They push that boulder up the hill every day for years and years and years and years and years and, years and do great things and produce great things out of a struggle. Um, but ultimately it is them kind of losing that. And in that kind of grief, it is the loss of something that they've loved for... Decades in terms of like Twin Six shooters, and still a decade probably in terms of the work they've put into this itself, right? And like the in a similar vein to how when a studio closes, it is like the mark of a death, and how when this they kind of veer away from what they've been doing, it is kind of into this era, into this kind of time in their history. The the thing that I find really beautiful about Pericles' funeral oration is the fact that it is this larger kind of eulogy for Athens itself, but one that at the time wouldn't necessarily have registered like that, wouldn't have been registered in the same way, right? Because he gives the oration after the end of the first year of the Peloponnesian War, and the war lasts for like 30 years, right? And like ultimately it ends with like Athens being wrecked and devastated and they never come back to that kind of golden age, um, that Pericles himself is like the embodiment of, right? He's like, he's the greatest Athenian, right? Like he is this great general and leader and statesman and thinker. And he kind of can see the fact that the the end of this is coming. We're, we're, we won't come out of this all right necessarily, or we will be fundamentally different than what we were in ways that probably won't benefit us necessarily. And it is him kind of forward looking and kind of giving this larger eulogy to Athens that you can only really detect um, after the fact. And I think that in a similar vein, like it is how smart kind of looking ahead, right? Like how some of saying, we don't want our eulogy to be written. We don't want our story to be written when we are actually just done. We're out of business. We have to close down. Cause we kept pushing that boulder up the hill relentlessly in spite of everything else, right? Like it is in kind of forward looking and being like, this is the eulogy to this era of what we've done because we have to leave because we don't want to have this be the kind of the end of our story. Um, and I think you convey so much of that in the piece. It's really good. There's so many different. Uh, God, I could I could like gush about this for so long, but it is uh, the embodiment of somebody from like obviously Greek mythology with Sisyphus, and then kind of the Pericles funeral oration, and how it ties into that, and how it ties into kind of religion and religious themes and undercurrents, and obviously about Lincoln. Um, there's just a lot happening at once, and it is a certainly it is a beautiful um, send-off and farewell to um, a studio that you obviously care about a lot. Yes. Uh, and
0: it's not like it's gone.
1: No, right? and like it's it's, still, that's, that's, that's the thing. It's still very much here. Um,
0: but the studio, what the studio did that I liked a lot is gone. And I don't think there's a studio out there doing that to that extent with that quality. So it's like you kind of got to let that thing go. Uh, and it's not like no one's out here waiting for what's next like clearly they're they still have every intention of being a player in the next gen of whatever you know video games are now and Storm Divers is gonna be their thing when they do that but it's like the skepticism's there and I'm sure they know um but it's also like they're doing it and they're doing it knowing that everyone's going to, you know, be sad that Arcade's dead and the last people who are doing it have left. So that really means Arcade's dead. Um, but, you know, I think we also need to remember that they did their best work in a time when it was very it's very easy to sort of play those games. Still. Um it's not like we're talking about old games that are like impossible to find anymore. Yeah, um, this isn't the same problem we have with older games. Yeah, when it comes to um, that, we talk about you know, so much on in input. Yeah, yeah, the saving video games and and, and keeping things, uh, keeping the history alive or and vibrant in some way. Um, this is not the case. All of their games are playable in various forms and fashions. So it's like you know the games aren't gone. You can still play them, <laughs> and most of them are like single players. So maybe with leaderboards, but you know the you don't need to have like a internet connection to do so you can kinda get the same experience out of them. You just know you're not getting new ones. So you know, I find I, it's feel the same way like like when Prince died. It's like, you know, Prince is dead so there's gonna be no more new prince. But like there's all this old prince. So like, you know you, celebrate, you you know, you mourn death but also celebrate life at the same time. And it's very easy to do both of those things these days. Yes.
1: Very much agree. It's a fantastic piece if you've not read it yet or listened to it because you can already listen to it even, I mean, by the time you have listened to this, you've already listened to it um, because that's how this audio read is going to work, uh, but you should definitely read it as well. Um, it's a very good piece with obviously lots and lots of themes and layers and ideas in it, um, It is absolutely one of my very favorite things you've written, Jarrett. but also one of my favorite things I've written within the industry or not itself. Um and in particular, like, as a final note, something that I. It is. It conveys so much, I think, weight and kind of heart. Um, and an odd amount of hearts, I might say, for Jarrett Green. Um, and, like, joy and tragedy and sorrow and grief um, and a sense of loss, but also a sense of kind of celebration. Um, and it does so many different things, so many different layers and themes. And it's a very short piece. It is not a long piece by any means. Like, this is a piece that is probably right around a thousand words. Maybe, like, maybe not even. It is not that long at all. Um, and it very much, in a typical Jarrett fashion, uh, uses brevity in a kind of succinct manner to convey so very much. I like it a lot. I'm, I'm confident the fact that everybody who listens or reads it will like it a lot. Jarrett likes it enough to have done a audio read for it as well also he didn't really have much of a choice um but it is very good i was, I was definitely told to uh thank you for writing it jared it, again like it is legitimately one of my favorite things for both me and george um we very much love this feature and it was easy one it was one of the it was one of the um three or four things if that many uh that were unanimously just immediately voted just be on the best of list for rash passions It's a very great piece well, thank you. And so, with that said, um, I don't really know how we close. I we're going to close out these best of list. Um, please go check out the best of list. All ten items, articles on the list um, are all great. Are all very different and fun, or not fun? Um, but they're all great, and I think reflect kind of the history and growth and different personalities and styles um, of Rational Passions' long journey. Um, we will be doing a article read for every single item on the list, with the exception maybe of one or two that either already have ones out there or are videos, and so it will just be kind of a bit different. we will fig- still figuring that out. Um, thank you, Jarrett, for doing this. You can follow Jarrett at Jarrett John on Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and Tumblr. Um, and, Probably not those last ones. And... Other things, you know what I mean? Microsoft Paint and can you is that possible? Sure, uh, I'm let paint a social media. I platform? hope so. That's that's like the, that's like the social media platform of the future. it's like the kids are already out there figuring ways to do it. It's like the social media platform of like the past future. Yeah, like the, it's like again, it's like retro, so they're bringing it back and making it cool again. Um, yeah. I'm Logan Orbison. You can find me at Luffy Logie. And this has been an Irrational Passions podcast, which you can find at Irrational Pod. Thank you so much, Jarrett. Um, is a fanatic piece. I love you very much. I love you very much. And thank you for listening. And until next time, stay rational. I'm stealing it from Alex and Neil. He can't stop me.
0: It's true. He can't stop you. Do, do, do.